You're listening to a podcast from Jubilee Church, Farnham. To find out more, visit www.jubilee.church. A Sunday to bring glory to his name, to meet together, to worship as we've done already, but also to hear from the Word of God. And so I'm going to apologize, perhaps, that I might be a little bit enthusiastic. And then on top of that... We've also got the fact that it's a new year, and that I just think as well brings excitement, and the opportunity to talk on the first Sunday of the year again is just like real, real privilege. And then I suppose on top of that, I'm a teacher, for those of you who don't know, so I've had two weeks off, so I'm feeling full of energy, full of passion and vigor. So yeah, I think you really might get it this morning, so I apologize. But... um, I, I could have done that all morning as we were doing, um, worshipping God, because again, those of you who have heard me talk before know that worship is a real passion of mine. However, the scriptures that we're going to look at this morning quite clearly tell us that actually a really integral part of our corporate worship is the reading of scriptures out loud. So whilst all of that is brilliant, and I could happily go on and do that forever, Um, I think it's important that we do come to the Word. So, as we're going to read later, it's really important to read out loud, and as we're in the practice of doing so here at Jubilee, uh, we're going to start in that same manner. It is quite a long passage, so we're reading from 1 Timothy chapter 4, from verse 6 right through to 16. So, are your lungs ready? Are you ready to read? So, join with me as we read from 1 Timothy chapter 4, 6 to 16. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wise tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them, so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely, because if you do, you will save yourself and your hearers. Excellent. Very good reading indeed. So, we are going to um, look at three things from this rather large passage. I've broken it down into three parts, as the scripture kind of breaks itself in that way. So first of all, we're going to look at the importance of godliness. Then we're going to be looking at how we need to set an example. 
And then, finally, we're going to look at always making progress. So just a very brief recap and put this into context for you, those of you who are visiting. Uh, we've, we've been going through the whole book of 1 Timothy. Um, and actually, I don't know if it was planned this way. Rick's absent this morning, nursing um, one of his children who were ill. But actually, I think this is a brilliant passage to be looking at and, at the beginning of a new year. Um, but we are working our way methodically through so I don't know if it was more coincidence, but um, certainly I think there are some things that are particularly poignant and relevant to us. Okay, so the first and largest part is about the importance of godliness. Now, the first point that I would like to make is that Timothy was nourished in the truths of the faith. Um, and he was nourished in this way in his upbringing. And so one of the points I wanted to make was the fact that those of us who have children, young children or teenage children, we have a really important role in bringing our children up in the way of the gospel. And so for one thing, he'd been trained on good teaching and he'd been, um, to, to put the Greek in a more accurate, Timothy was nourished in these truths of the faith. Since nourishment describes the care and feeding of young children, this particularly refers to Timothy's upbringing, as I said. His grandmother and his mother had nurtured him in the faith, as it, said, it says in 2 Timothy 1 verse 5. So he'd been instructed in the law of God. He had memorized portions of the Old Testament. He had been chastised in the attributes of God, the history of salvation, and the promises of the coming of the Messiah. So Timothy was well-versed in the Scriptures. And so I suppose it's just a very quick comment to encourage those of us who do have the responsibility for looking after children to do that, to prepare them, to give them that sense of belief and faith and to teach them the ways that the word would say. So we're not just looking um, at the aspects of godliness, but also in looking at how important it is that we are trained in knowing these things. Now, if, if we just look a little bit about where this is, Paul would have written this letter to Timothy. And um, Timothy was a young man, and he was obviously embarking on his ministry as a minister, as a as somebody who worked uh, in the church. However, um, right from the outset, I want to say that everything that we're going to look at this morning isn't just necessarily about people who work full-time in the church. Because I think some of the principles that Paul is telling Timothy um, can very easily be applied to all of our lives. So it's not just about those of us who work in the church. And after all, I mean, this, this chapter is entitled, A Good Servant of Jesus Christ. And I think all of us would want to work towards that, being a good servant of Jesus Christ, whether we have another profession or whether we work in the ministry. So I think some of the reasons we can take that, we can see the fact that it uses the words brothers. So we know this is a very much a family-orientated thing. Um, and as in many contexts within the Bible, if it says brothers, it also um, refers to brothers and sisters, although not implicitly, but it does refer to the whole wider context of the family. 
So we've said about parents making sure that you teach your children in the ways. And of course, we know that um, scripture that talks about teach your children in the path and they will follow it. Um, And certainly I've benefited from that myself, having had that upbringing um, and that teaching as as a youngster. However... This isn't, this, this information, this direction, this instruction that Paul is giving to Timothy isn't just for childhood, but it's a lifetime. And uh, Philip Ryken, who's an American theologian and minister, says this, A good upbringing, however, is only the beginning. Being trained in the faith is not just for childhood, it is for a whole lifetime. Since the Greek verb for training is in the present tense, the implication is that Timothy continues to be trained in biblical truth. He is a lifelong student of Christian doctrine. He still follows the good teaching he received at home and in the church. So here we're encouraged to believe that we are continuously learning. And as a school teacher... There's this phrase that we use lots of phrases, we also use lots of acronyms, but there's this phrase of lifelong learning. I think it's particularly good because it, of course, uses alliteration, so it's got a bit of a ring to it. Lifelong learning. And actually, we're to apply this principle to our Christian lives. We're to remember daily that we are never the finished article. We are to continuously read the Bible, read the scriptures. Think about how we can develop ourselves to be more Christ-like, to be more like Jesus, or as this chapter puts it, to be a good servant of Jesus Christ. So, we're always learning we should never stop studying. And if we want to be a good minister or a good servant of Christ, we need to make sure that we have um, that aim in our lives continuously. And we shouldn't want to put anything else in its place. As Christians, that should be our sole objective, is to be more Christ-like in the way that we live our lives. And sometimes we can, of course, put other objects in the way, and they can distract us from this ultimate cause of being the best servant we possibly can. And sometimes those objects that we can put in the way can be about pleasing men and not about pleasing God. And I think, particularly for Timothy, this was a really important point to make because as a minister, as a worker in the church, I think he could have quite easily thought about, well, I've got to please my congregation. I've got to ensure they you know, like me so they come to church on a Sunday. But actually what Timothy is being told here is that he needs to put his focus on pleasing God and being a good servant. And everything else in comparison to this single objective, is absolutely worthless. And we we shouldn't seek anything else above this goal. So Timothy isn't given a load of practical advice by Paul at this point. He isn't said, right, make sure you have the chairs in three sections like this so that there's a nice orderly row, and make sure that when they come into church, you shake their hands and look them in the eye and say, how's your week been? And, you know, all this kind of thing. Make sure you visit people at least once every three months because obviously that's what pastors are supposed to do. He doesn't give a whole list of practical tasks that Timothy should do as a pastor. He simply, really simply just says, Just do whatever it is that pleases God, and that will make you a great person. That will make you a great Christian, in this context, a great minister. 
And, you know, we should, we should do that the same. Everything else will fall into place. Because if our priority and our focus is to please God, if we've got that right at the top of our list, everything else will just fall into place. So all the other teachings will naturally happen because we're wanting to please God in that way. So I suppose what he was kind of getting at is he didn't want, Paul didn't want a gifted man in this place. He wanted a godly man, a godly person. Somebody who wasn't interested in pleasing man, but somebody whose priority and focus was to please God. So Richard Bernard says this, common people respect more a person's life than their learning. And we're going to look at that a little bit where it talks about, oh, where's that bit? I'm getting lost now. Oh, sorry, I've missed a little bit out. So godliness means reverence. Um, So we're going to talk about godliness, which is the first part of the section there. So if we read this, it says, The godly person places God at the center of every activity and endeavor. God is in the sleeping and the waking, the eating and the drinking, the coming and the going. And we all know that song um, by Tim Hughes, God in our living, God in our breathing, God in our um, waking. The godly person walks with God at home, at work, at church, at school, and at play. Godliness includes godly thoughts, godly speech, and godly behavior. It is the attitude toward life that David expressed when he said, I have set the Lord always before me, in Psalm 16, verse 8. Godliness comes from a God-centered life. So as I was saying, it is about putting God at the center of it all and the respect that we owe God. And that is that kind of mingled fear and love which together constitute the piety of man towards God. So it's that kind of combination of of knowing that God is awesome and powerful and yet also knowing that he loves us and therefore we can love him. So um, John Calvin calls godliness the beginning, the middle and the end of Christian living. And in other words, I think what he's trying to say there is if we get this godliness aspect right, if we have godliness at the beginning of our lives, in the middle of our lives, and in the end of our lives, then we're going to get it all right because we're prioritizing that focus on God. Okay, so let's see if we're, I'm back in the right place now. I am. Excellent. So we've got this um, part of the scripture here. We're going to move on to looking at what uh, Paul says about training. So this is verse 8. For while bodily training is of some value, and here's the key word, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So at this time, Paul, I think it's, it's fairly widely known that Paul was a bit of a fitness fanatic or fitness freak, if you'd rather that phrase. He loved his sport. He talks about sport a lot. He refers to athletics, rowing, all sorts of different sports. He really did love sport. And so he uses this analogy to help Timothy understand that being godly, valuing that sense of godliness, is a little bit like training to be an athlete. Um, 
We're all familiar with the Olympics, and of course, at this time, the Greeks were very much into all of their athletics and things like that. And so this kind of analogy would have been very real, very current to Timothy. And I think it still is to us today. We can all appreciate and understand the importance of training regularly if we're wanting to compete in the um, Olympics. Now, I'm not particularly a sportsman um, as such, but I am a musician, and Uh, one of the things that I used to do when I was younger was play the trumpet a lot. And the reason I had to play the trumpet a lot was because it was part of my degree. And to get to a certain standard that I needed to get to in order to pass my degree, I had to practice. I had to practice daily and for a number of hours. And it's partly actually to do with the body because any um, instrument, whether it's um, particularly wind instruments, I suppose, but any instrument, it requires a certain amount of physical stamina. And so if I uh, were not to play the trumpet, which I'm sad to say I've fallen into, I would very, very quickly lose my ability to play the trumpet because my body is no longer trained at that level. And so I lose the ability to play the trumpet. Now, I can still play the trumpet, but in all honesty, if I were to pick up my trumpet now and play, I would probably last about 10 minutes before I would physically think, oh my goodness, I can't do this anymore. Either my breathing is out of control or the muscles in my, what is called, here's a technical term, embrasure, embrasure means the mouth position, basically. So all of that will waste away because I'm not practicing regularly. And this is the kind of, so this is my analogy. I'm, I'm making it more about music because that's what I know about. But Paul is saying this about athletes. So I think we all know that if we don't train, if we don't practice, then we will lose our ability in whatever it is that we're practicing. And it's the same with godliness. It's the same with godliness. Because if we don't daily practice aspects of godliness, we will lose that. We will lose the ability to apply godliness to our lives. We will lose the ability to apply it to our work, to our home circumstances, to our social time, to our solo time. We will lose the ability to do that. Because if we don't continuously exercise the truths of the Bible, then we will lose the ability to do that. And so it's really important that we are constantly reading, hearing, meditating, and studying the gospel. So this is, um, I think, a really understandable point um, to make. And John Stott says this, we cannot become familiar with this godly book without becoming godly ourselves. In other words, if we read the Bible, we will become more godly. If we read the Bible and the scriptures, we will become more Christ-like. We will become more like him. Um, And in the research I was doing, I forget the names, but... um, even, even it talked about a non-Christian just decided to start reading the Bible because you know, perhaps they were inquiring, inquisitive about um, what Christian life was all about. And his fans, friends and family had even said, even though he hadn't made a conscious decision to become a Christian, they said, something's changed in you. You're acting differently. The words you're using are different. The way you respond to people is different. Why? 
because he had made a choice to read the Bible. And so he had changed in his behaviors. And so it's absolutely right, isn't it? John Stott's got it absolutely right. We cannot become familiar without, with this godly book without becoming godly ourselves. So, of course, I think that is what we want to do. In the long run, no man can preach better than he lives. It's all about our, our lives being a reflection of what we're reading. And so it's all about being born out of faithful commitment to the word and all that it implies about life and our conduct. To give um, another quote, we've got William Shakespeare here, who says this, Why so large a cost, having so short a lease, does thou upon your fading mansion spend? So what's he talking about here? Well, godliness is valuable because it makes the present life more, a more abundant life, as it says in John 10.10, possibly, I think, my favorite scripture. Um, and to quote the uh, message version, it says life to the full or life to the max, I think even. Um, so godliness doesn't just make this life better, this short lease of a life, but it also lasts for eternity. Because, of course, Everything that happens in this life will fade and die. But if we focus on godliness, those things will last for eternity. And it guarantees continuous fellowship with Christ in the age to come. So what um, Shakespeare is saying is here is why focus on things that will only last a short time, like a fading mansion? So... Essentially, what we're saying is, we're going back to this analogy now, is that godliness is better than fitness. So Paul is saying, well, yeah, okay, being fit and healthy, that's good, it's got some benefits, but they're only for the here and now, for this life. But actually, if you focus on godliness, the benefits will last forever. So as it says in the New Revised Standard Version, it says, Godliness is valuable in every way. It is valuable in the home, the church, and the workplace. It is valuable both in times of trouble and in times of prosperity. It helps a person deal with enemies as well as friends. Godliness is never superfluous. I can't say that word. Superfluous, thank you. It guides the believer in every situation. So, Godliness is absolutely better than fitness. Is, yeah. Oh, okay, some people saying that. Yes. <laughs> okay, so we've got, this is a real central point to this scripture. And just um, a couple of really long, complicated words, sorry. Um, but sanctification and glorification. And this is referring to the principle of um, the fact that physical fitness is about the here and now, the this life, but godliness is about forever. And so sanctification is the work that the Holy Spirit does in this life to make us, the believer, godly. So that's about us in this life trying to be more Christ-like, reading the Word and doing all of that. That's what we would call sanctification. Okay, so we're, we're, we're all sanctified. But this is the really exciting thing as far as I'm concerned. Glorification is the work that the Holy Spirit will do in the next life to make the believer gloriously godly. So that's quite incredible, isn't it, don't you think? 
that idea of the fact that we, we will have, we've got sanctification now, but glorification is what the Holy Spirit will do in the next life to make the believer more gloriously godly. So, um, these two can't be separated. The godliness started in this life, but it will be perfected in eternity. So they can't be separated, um, and that's an important principle to understand as well. Talks a little bit about, um, in the uh, verses towards the end of this paragraph, it talks about, uh, oh, I've lost it. Where is it? It's there. It talks about, um, especially to those, that is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the savior of all people, especially those who believe. And, um, oh, a little bit controversial, that's good. So you can see, I think we've probably, have we got, uh, are they red? Are they red passports? They are, but as, would we describe that as red or maroon? I don't know. And uh, that one, of course, is the blue passport. And uh, this is a particularly sensitive point for my wife, who works for Delarue, who did have the contract for the passports. Uh, so they, would be, they have made, and are currently still making, due to delays. Let's not get political. Um, so yes, but of course, there was a French firm, wasn't it, darling? A French firm that... Uh, <laughs> Slightly ironic, because, of course, Chrissy's uh, family are French. So anyway, yes. Let's move on. We're all getting... Uh, we focus on godliness. Focus on godliness. Make that the priority. Get back to godliness. So, the only acceptable passport to heaven is faith in Jesus Christ. So it doesn't matter if you've got a red or a blue passport. What actually is going to get you into heaven is faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what that last section of that is talking about. So... Um, that is why we labor and strive, because of the hope in the living God, who is the savior of all people. Um, and again, some of the reading around this talks about the priority that we should have as Christians on ensuring that everybody that we come into contact with has the correct passport, has that um, ticket to heaven, their name written in that book um, so that they can enter heaven. Okay, so you'll be pleased to know that was the longest section. Oh my goodness, just looked at my clock. Right, so setting an example. So we're going to need to move on very quickly. Command. Timothy was well known to be a, a, quite a timid person. Timid Timothy. Okay, so um, this is something that he is well known to have been, which is why Paul is saying some of the things that he's saying. So those who teach by their doctrine must teach by their life or else they pull down with one hand what they build up with the other. So this is talking about the fact that it is all very well and good preaching all the things that Timothy would have been preaching, but if he wasn't living the life as well, he would be pulling all of that doctrine down. So unless it's, it's a typical phrase, isn't it? You've got to walk the talk or talk the walk. Walk the, t walk the talk. Okay? You've got to walk what you talk. Okay, so that's kind of what Henry is saying here. Um, he's just saying that if you don't actually do what you preach, then you're going to pull it all down. And of course, Timothy, as well as being known as timid, was also known um, for being young. So don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Timothy was probably about 35, mid-30s. Okay, um, and so there were two categories of um, men at that time, the young and the old. 
and apparently the cutoff would be 40. So I think, I think if we look at uh, our lovely show, I think I was going to take the mickey out of Rick, but he's not here. I was going to say, I think I would be in the kind of younger category, because, <laughs> of course, my youthfulness. I think, is it fair to say, Sean, that you... Okay, and then I was going to ask Rick, ooh, where would Rick be? No, no, I wasn't here. Is he old? So, okay, right. So, if you're listening, Rick, sorry. We've just, uh, we've just come to the conclusion that you're in the older group of men. So, Timothy would have been young, as he would have been about 35 at this time. So, this is why Paul is giving Timothy this um, instruction. And he actually uses the word command, um, which is actually quite... Um, authoritative, and, and it's almost army-like, isn't it? It's almost that kind of very strong word. You've got to command these things. Um, and so Timothy is being told to be courageous in his roles and responsibility. Um, so we're going to, I don't know, I think I'm going to have to literally abandon those things. We were going to look at the five different uh, points that Paul makes. So Timothy is being told to think about his speech, his conduct, his love, his faith, and his purity. So I think what I'll do is I'll just read some of these um, ascribing scriptures. So Proverbs talks about speech like this. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Isn't that so true? And lots of other scriptures talk about the opposite, how actually words can break down and be as sharp as, you know, your tongue is sharp. So there's lots in the Bible about speech. Um, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So true, isn't it? These proverbs that are just so insightful and so useful, uh, and of course, so poignant, particularly with um, social media. Conduct. Philippians says this, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. It's really echoing the first paragraph about living for God, godliness, putting God at the center of it all. Love, well, I mean, how could I pick out scriptures of love? Because, of course, there is so much, and it's so integral um, to Christianity. But um, I chose a couple. 1 Corinthians, let all that you do be done in love. It's what Timothy is being encouraged to do as a Christian. And 1 John, we love because he first loved us. And then faith, Hebrews says this, now faith is the assure, I love this verse, this might be my other one, um, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. So we're encouraged to have that faith. And uh, Luke 1.37, for nothing will be impossible for God. As, as believers, we need to have that faith that Christ can do anything and that he is all-powerful. And then finally, purity. Um, this kind of is is split into two. So not only is it to do with moral conduct, so just generally being pure, um, but it is also specifically about sexual conduct and sexual behavior. Um, and of course, perhaps particularly relevant as Timothy was a young man. So by the grace, uh, Ephesians says this about, um, oh, sorry, beg your pardon, I'm in the wrong place. Uh, Philippians also says this about purity. Think on those things which are true, noble, and pure. 
And Paul says this to the people in Philippi. So that was a really whistle-stop tour. I did say to Sean, I really think I've got two sermons here. Um, uh, yesterday I emailed him saying, I'll be 20 minutes. Yeah, I really wasn't going to achieve that, was I? But I think you've got the idea, and perhaps it would be a good idea if this week in your um, times of devotion you were to look more deeply at these five principles, the speech, the conduct, the love, the faith, and the purity, and think about how you need to apply these principles to your life to um, be more Christ-like and aim for that aspect of godliness. Um, Really quickly, didn't want to teach you to suck eggs at all, but there are just some examples there of things that I've particularly found useful in terms of devoting myself to reading. So the HTB, uh, Holy Trinity Brompton, that stands for, is, and the BIY is the Bible in a Year app. It's really good. Of course, that's um, uh, Gumball. Nikki Gumbel, thank you. Um, UCB radio, of course. UCB emails, they can email you every day with a, a, a passage from the scripture and an aspect of applying that to your lives. Um, I was really pleased when I came across the David Suchet reading of the Bible because, of course, um, his, he's got an English accent. And, of course, much of what we access here in the UK is, is from, um, from America. But um, I particularly like that. And of course, if you haven't got that Holy Bible app, it's brilliant, not only for accessing the Bible anywhere you are, because of course we all carry our phones with us everywhere, um, but it's also got loads of devotionals if you go in into the uh, actual app itself and you can choose various devotionals. Okay, so um, you'll be pleased to know that this actually only has one slide. So um, I'm definitely not going to take too long on this. It's really simple, actually. The kind of final section that we're looking at this morning, verse 16, says this, be careful about the way you... Is that going to work now? Yes. Okay. I've definitely been too long. That was definitely a hint, wasn't it? The battery ran out. So the last verse of this passage, be careful about the way you live and about what you teach. Keep on doing this and you will save not only yourself, but the people who hear you. And it goes back to that point I made earlier. Does your talk match your walk? And so I'm not sure if I've done it justice because I've had to rush so much. But essentially, that is what we were looking at this morning. A good servant of Christ Jesus. Do we prioritize that aspect of godliness? Um, do we prioritize the reading of the scriptures? Do we look at those five aspects of being a better Christian, thinking about our speech, our conduct, our love, our faith, and our purity? And do we actually live those principles in our life, or do we just read it and ignore it? Um, there was just one other aspect that I just wanted to kind of bring out, which I'll do in closing as, as I kind of close in prayer. I mentioned earlier that Timothy was a timid person. He was kind of well known for being timid. And so I think particularly as, as we're at the beginning of a new year, 
I think we could apply this, this to all of us, our lives. And for those of us who perhaps do have more of a timid nature or a timid personality, I just wanted to encourage us that actually if we put God at the center of what we're doing, our confidence and our, if we put our confidence and trust in God, then we don't need to be timid. Um, and so you might have perhaps had a, something that you've been desperate that you've wanted to do or, um, and you've not had the confidence to do that. But I think these scriptures that we've looked at this morning should encourage you. If you put God at the center of that, then um, God will honor that and you will um, be fruitful and effective in whatever it is that you're looking to do. Should we just close in prayer as we just kind of try and pull together everything that we've looked at this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Father. Glory be to your name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Father. Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this portion of Scripture. Lord, we thank you that we have your word that is breathed into our lives so that we might know the way in which you would want us to live our lives. Father, we thank you that as we read these scriptures, we can apply them to our lives so that we can be more godlike in how we live. Father, we pray that as we start a new year, that we would prioritize godliness in our lives, that we would look to pleasing you and not pleasing man that we would look to be more like you as we continue on our walks, our lives, and that we would put you in our working, in our resting, in our sleeping, in our meeting, in our everyday life. Father, we pray that you would be at the center of it all. Father, we pray for that confidence that can come from you. Father, we pray that as we start new ventures, as we approach new circumstances and situations this year, we pray that you would give us that confidence. And as Timothy was commanded, Lord, I pray that we would have that same confidence that we would command in these areas that we're looking to work in. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth this morning. Lord, we thank you that when we've gathered here, we've gathered to meet with the living God, the one true God. Father, we glorify you, we magnify you, we lift your name up higher than any other name. For we know you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.